You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut to the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, it's Katie, and this is another episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast, and today I have Jill Weberding, who is a nurse oncology consultant, uh, and she is doing some amazing stuff with caregivers, or with cancer patients, and uh, nurses and providers who take care of cancer patients. So thank you so much for being here, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Sure. Uh, Lisa, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about you, like how did you get started in nursing and how did it lead you to where you are today? Yeah, so um, I've been on, in nursing for over 20 years. Um, I think, you know, the first thing that people, it's, it's a great conversation killer when someone asks you what you do and you say that you're a cancer nurse. Yeah. <laughs> there is like this long pause and then like the sympathy look like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and I'm like, oh, it's my choice. Like I wouldn't do anything else. <laughs> so, um, but kind of how I, I've got started really in, in cancer specifically is, is as many people have, they've had a lot of personal experience. Um, and so I'm no different. I've had multiple family members diagnosed with cancer um, as early as when I was in junior high. Uh, my grandpa was diagnosed when I was in sixth grade and at diagnosis he was, you know, he had stage four prostate cancer. And so that certainly impacted me, you know, as you can imagine. I, I definitely remember family members being really secretive and, you know, all the crying and hidden off in, you know, side rooms, um, but nobody would say anything. And so, you know, I came right out and asked, you know, does grandpa have cancer? Because that was the worst thing that I knew about at that age. Um, and I just remember it being a struggle. One, because treatment certainly wasn't then what it is today. And just the fact that really no one in my family and extended family, including my aunts and uncles and my grandma, like nobody talked about it. Um, and, you know, so in their mind, um, they didn't want to worry us, all the grandkids, but you know, kids are not stupid. They, they see things, they hear things. And I promise, um, you that whatever they make up in their head is far worse, um, than knowing the actual information. So I'm a big advocate for communication, uh, with all my patients. And, um, so many people, you know, they don't know what to say or how to say it. And it's really helpful to be able to kind of guide that conversation you know, and give, you know, tips on, you know, how to use appropriate language depending on, you know, their age and who you're speaking to. Um, my great grandmother was diagnosed when I was in high school with lung cancer. Uh, she had never smoked a day in her life. Um, she passed away fairly quickly, you know, and it's, it's those kind of early experiences, I think, you know, certainly impacted my decision. I was probably a freshman in high school. I believe when I decided that I wanted to go into nursing and I, I knew immediately, you know, that it would be oncology. Um, so that's kind of where I've spent my entire career. Um, 
my aunt was diagnosed with acute leukemia shortly after getting married and I was living several states away. So I had, you know, that experience of, you know, a close family member being diagnosed and you're not there, you're getting secondhand information and you have all these questions and, you know, it's like you're, you, you want to help, but it's, you know, how do you do that from a distance? Um, and then, you know, last year my dad was actually diagnosed with a rare subtype of chronic leukemia. Um, which he actually developed due to his service in Vietnam. So, you know, all of those things have certainly influenced me, um, the perspective that I have, the experience I've gathered and lessons I've learned, you know, through all the patients that I've really had the privilege of, of helping as well as just my own personal experience. And Jill, so when your father was diagnosed with cancer, um, can you talk a little bit about uh, how that process went for him? Like, um, did he struggle to understand his diagnosis? Did he really kind of know what the treatment options were and what did you have to do for him? Sure. Um, because, you know, like I said, my dad, he, he actually developed his cancer from his service, um, his military service. So he went through the, the VA system, um, which most veterans do. And even though I was with him, you know, and even as a nurse, you know, you want to have more control than you really do because it's not your health system. And, you know, you're, you're on the other side of the table. You really are in a different role. Um, and so I went with him, you know, I remember going to that appointment and, you know, the doctor was trying to explain his diagnosis and, and it, it is, it was a difficult diagnosis. It's a, it was a rare subtype, you know, called myelofibrosis. And it's not like a solid tumor where you can you know, say, oh, you have a tumor in your lungs or, you know, a, a breast tumor. This was something a little bit more abstract. Um, but he literally in the middle of her conversation turned to me and was like, do you have any idea what she just said? And he had this long pause and he was so, he was completely serious. He really did not understand a single thing, um, you know, that she was talking about. And so, you know, as a, as a family member, I'm like, yes, dad, you know, I know I, I'll, he's like, good, then you can explain it to me. And was the oncologist being overly jargony or was she trying to simplify it as much as she could? Or I mean, she was using still a lot of medical terms, you know, and, um, you know, even just, we don't realize, I think we have the curse of knowledge once you've been in it so long that the language that we use is so everyday. Um, it's so common that we forget what it actually is to not know. You know, most patients are like, where is my bone marrow? Like, what do you mean? My bone marrow is messing up, <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, you know, so I come home and I like, I literally got my family around the table, my aunts and uncles, his, his brother and sister, and we sit around the table. I drew him a picture and, you know, here's, and I'm a terrible artist, by the way. Uh, my sister ha is an art teacher. She got all the talent, but you know, I'm, it's okay. I keep things simple. So, you know, it still was a matter of like your bone marrow is your cell factory and this is where all cells are born and his factory is not working correctly. And, you know, it's actually scarring up. And so we have less room in the factory to build what we need. And so it's, it's just putting it in simplified terms and giving them, you know, a lot of times it is a story or an analogy, something that they can wrap their head around because most most people don't understand the medical terms that we're using. 
Right. And she was, she was very personable. She asked, you know, probably 15 times during the conversation, do you have any questions, you know? And, and he, he finally said, I wouldn't even know what to ask. (laughs) And that's the truth, right? That's the truth for most patients. They are, you know, you, it's so overwhelming when you hear the C word, um, particularly being addressed to you, um, you know, that you're just in shock and then you're expected to hear the rest of the, you know, conversation and you just, you can't process it. You really can't. Yeah. And especially when they're throwing out terms like Milo prolific and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And you're just kind of like to wrap your mind out for around what that means. Whereas when you take that analogy, you know, all of a sudden I can imagine your family members having questions such as, okay, so the, what, why isn't the factory working? Like, what can we yeah. do about that? And all of a sudden, then the conversation can open up. But until they can wrap their mind around that concept, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's building blocks. It really is. And if you don't start simple with the foundation and get the understanding on that, those little things, like how could you possibly understand what treatment option you should choose when you still don't have any idea where your cancer's at in your body? You know, uh, if you don't understand those implications, then the treatment options certainly are not going to make sense to you. Um, so, so. This, did you find that this was isolated to this one doctor? Maybe she doesn't know how to speak to patients or is it something you found more prevalent? No, I, I wish that were true. I mean, and he, again, I, I don't want to misrepresent. He loved his oncologist. He loved her. She was very personable. But again, she just didn't have the ability to, you know, to put, to explain things in a way that he understood. And so we went to the nurse and I thought, oh good, her nurse is going to sit down and do the patient education. And she literally printed off a sheet, you know, from a website and, you know, very quickly glossed over it, didn't talk about, still didn't talk about his diagnosis. My guess is because she didn't understand it or have trouble, know how to explain it easily to patients. And, you know, it's like, well, basically if you feel you know, if you feel weird, just call us. <laughs> what? You know, but, you know, over the years, like I am a, a strong, you know, I'm very passionate about patient education and patient advocacy. So I have spent years speaking at support groups and, you know, really getting that firsthand feedback from patients. I just simply listen to what they're telling me. Um, and it's, you know, these just giant gaps of what what they understand about their diagnosis. Patients who are completely done with treatment, who are attending my cancer basics presentation, and they're telling me that they finally understand their diagnosis, or they finally understand what they just went through for the past 12 months. It really shouldn't be like that. It sh- we should be able to help them on the front end. Yeah, and I can appreciate that in all of medicine. And I'm going to tell you a story that's really embarrassing. But I was reading my son, a Dr. Seuss book. It was uh, Your Inside Outside or something. And it goes through a couple of different body systems and stuff. And when we got to like the immunology section, I was just like, oh my God, I just understand. (laughs) It was like the most embarrassing thing. Like this is like just years ago. But, um, you know, I'm like, all these years in nursing school, like I didn't get this concept. And it took like Dr. Seuss to like, break it down to a point where all of a sudden everything made sense to me like all the things that I knew just kind of like came together and so even as nurses like and and, and physicians maybe um, 
it's just because we're saying the words doesn't mean yes. that we can conceptualize what's going on. And worse yet, I, I think when we have that kind of high language, it's because we don't know how to break it down or we don't know how to explain it or maybe we just don't understand. Yeah, I agree. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Like, literally, that's what we should kind of think of is the, the children format, you know, children's book format of how to explain things. Because, you know, like the closest thing that I can, you know, try to liken it to is like, remember when we, when you first started learning story problems in math in grade school? You know, I, I know, like, I'm trying to muffle my own groans here because I hated, I just hated story problems. I did too. I was terrible at them. It was, it was just awful. It was like the bane of my existence. But I, I have an eight-year-old daughter who's in second grade. And so this year she started doing the story problems. And, you know, I, I know you remember this, you know, I'm sure, but it's like they give you all this extra information, you know, the extra names of people and places and numbers, none, none that matter. Like they don't matter. It's just extra information. And my daughter was getting so frustrated. Um, and I finally, I told her, I said, just remember the question that you're trying to answer. Ignore everything else. You know, and so she read the question again and she was like, oh, so I just need to add four plus 10. Why didn't they just say that? You know, and I'm like, that's how our patients feel. Like, that's what we do every single day as healthcare practitioners. Um, professionals. You know, we give them too much information. We confuse them with jargon and names that, you know, they can't pronounce. Um, and it just makes them feel confused and overwhelmed. Um, and what we really, you know, we, we think we're doing our job because we give them a two-page long pamphlet about, you know, their treatment or a drug or, you know, their diagnosis itself. And it's like what they really need to know is so far buried in there. They can't even find it. Like they cannot find it. So, you know, that's what I do. Basically, I, I help show them, you know, that to answer your question, you just got to add four plus 10. And when you get that, like, then we can move on to the next problem. Then we can move on to the next step. You know, and some problems, of course, are more complicated. Um, but if you don't understand, you know, that those beginning pieces, you're never going to get the more complicated part. So what are the, the simpler pieces of, that they need to understand? Um, so, so I try to break things down basically into three areas. I do um, diagnosis, treatment, and recovery. And, you know, it's all a process. It's all a phase. And it's just what part of the, you know, phase you're in. But there is no point in, you know, talking to them about, you know, the fine details of treatment that's going to last six months and what those specific drugs are when they still literally don't understand where the cancer is and why they have to get treatment because, you know, their lymph nodes are involved. Well, what does that mean? I don't even know what a lymph node is, you know, it's like, oh, remember, sometimes you get a sore throat, you have this kind of swollen knot under your, you know, <laughs> that's a lymph node, you know, like, oh, I didn't know those were all over my body. Well, in fact, they are. You know, so it's, it's, you've got to start with the basics and then focus where they are because it's way too much information at one time and, and you start on those building blocks. Okay. This is what cancer is. It's actually a hundred different diseases. So when your neighbor, you know that your neighbor had lung cancer and you have breast cancer, your treatment is not going to look the same. And that's, it shouldn't, it's not supposed to. So, you know, even helping those, you know, 
basic concepts, helping them understand that for one, it answers a lot of questions for them. Well, my, my friend at church got this treatment and she had breast cancer. Why am I not getting that? And sometimes they're too afraid to even ask that simple question to their doctor and it's, it's causing them a lot of anxiety because now they're like, am I doing the right thing? Should I get a second opinion? Like, what if it, maybe I should have had what they had. Do I need radiation? She had radiation. Why am I not getting, you know? So it just, it really um, builds. And so focusing, breaking it down for them helps it to, to keep it from being so incredibly overwhelming. Um, and then you move from, from one step, you know, to the next once they, once they understand it. So, I mean, that, that's, that's huge, Jill. Um, I think that's really, really important to meet them where they are first and to break down the idea before talking about treatment options and stuff. Because I can imagine, you know, you, you do have your friends and neighbors who had, have cancer or had cancer and, you know, they beat theirs or that person died two weeks later. And, and you're always kind of comparing and contrasting your own system whereas if you had like the, the knowledge and the understanding that your cancer is different and that there's going to be different treatment options you would have more trust in the system as opposed to oh they just don't know about her secret cancers treatment or something you know exactly right and there's there's so much information online as well and you know talking to patients um you know listening to them it, it's not that healthcare professionals, their providers are not giving them the information. They are. The timing of it is pretty awful, quite honestly. It's when they're in shock. That's when we overload them with information and then expect them to make important treatment decisions. And so it's a little tricky because there is a timing component there and we do want them to be informed, but we're still we're still really not getting it right. And if, and if I've talked to colleagues, I've talked to other nurses, I've talked to you know, oncologists, and, and we all kind of recognize that it's not really what we want it to be, but they're not sure how to fix it, so they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. But what happens then is patients end up going online and they just, you know, they Google everything. And, you know, the tricky part of that is, as you know, well, anybody can put anything on the internet and it's really hard to, you know, to decide, is this good information? Is this, you know, reliable? Where is this coming from? You know, and there's so much back and forth of, you know, you know, this person was spontaneously cured from eating apricot seeds, you know, <laughs> and, you know, this person, you know, went through a year and a half of chemo. Well, that sounds terrible. I'll just eat seeds, you know, um, but they don't, it's, they really need a reliable place to go. And while there are a lot of, you know, those national organizations out there, when you go to their sites, they're still overwhelming we still have the same issue. We're doing the education the same way in the story problem format where we inundate them with tons of information and they just, it's hard to sift through when you're in shock and when you're scared and when you're overwhelmed. So, you know, that's what I'm trying to create is a place where patients and caregivers, family members, you know, even those who are out of town who can't be there for all those appointments, they still obviously want to know what's going on. They want to understand and they want to know what they can do to help, you know, create a place where they can go for reliable information 
and tips and it all be explained in a simple way you know that anyone can wrap their head around it everyone deserves to understand their diagnosis their treatment and their recovery and and that's what i'm you know trying to accomplish uh so so how do you fix something like that i mean because there is so many different types of cancers and and cancer options and treatment plans and stuff so is it a it's a matter of um, working with patients one-on-one or do you, are you going to fix it some other way or what were you thinking? Yeah, so uh, there's a there's a variety of ways actually that I am currently working on that issue is, you know, one, I am working on general um, cancer education. So where I'm going to talk about, I talk about chemotherapy and I talk about what do you eat during treatment and, you know, what is immunotherapy? Um, you know, what do I, what kind of exercise should I be doing in recovery? So some of those basic topics are more general and they can be beneficial for everybody. You know, when we talk to new patients, we're going to talk about some of the same things every time. Of course, your specific diagnosis is different, your case is different, um, and then we'll individually talk about your you know, the drugs or the treatment that you're going to be used and give you information on that. But across the board, you know, everybody should know you know, why are we doing so much blood work? And what does it mean when your counts are low? Why is that important? You know, we, we say things like that, again, you know, in this healthcare lingo that we use, and we just assume that everybody knows what that means. But the reality is they, you know, they have no idea. Um, so there's going to be a lot of just that general type of education. Um, and then certainly if patients or caregivers, they want to, you know, go more in depth, or they really want me to, you know, sit with them or, you know, work with them one-on-one, -on -one, you know, then I, then I absolutely have that, you know, capacity to do that. You know, the other issue is, you know, is really training the trainers. And so I'm doing, you know, more work, I think, um, you know, in that capacity as well, where I'm working with cancer centers and clinics and, and a lot of community oncology practices where, um, you know, helping them do a better job you know, doing their patient education. So I, that means I may be evaluating what they're currently using, helping revise those so it is truly patient friendly and it's, you know, not four pages long of paragraph after paragraph. You know, it's, it's streamlining it into, you know, the meat and potatoes of what patients really, you know, need to know. Yeah, and then know. Helping, helping them, you know, figure out what does that look like? Is that, you know, is that a, a little mini video series? Is that, you know, um, which is, you know, I'm working on on my site? Um, or is that, you know, giving them little bits of bite-sized um, pieces of information so that they can digest it a little at a time and when it's convenient to them so that it's not, you know, at, at the office necessarily 100% of the time where they're probably the most anxious, right? Um, so yeah, so I'm, my website's currently being updated to incorporate a lot of videos like that. Um, but I think, you know, working with those sides, I'm still speaking with, you know, I've got a support group in Cincinnati that I'm speaking with, um, you know, next month. And, you know, so I'm still doing a lot of those types of things on the patient caregiver level itself. But if you really want to, you know, have the most impact it's not just a local problem where i'm at it's a problem across the country and so if we you know start um you know being smarter about how we you know everybody knows particularly in the community practice you really have to be smart about how you provide your services because 
you know, in the air of slim margins, like you just don't have enough resources. You don't, and that includes staff. You just don't have enough staff to do what you want to do. So the difference is, is that I think people often leave out education and it's no different than any other service. You know, there's no, it's really, um, it's very intense and hard to continuously reinvent the wheel every single patient you see when in actuality there are a lot of you know common things that we talk about in patient education that could be addressed um, in a in a more you know systematic way um, and then then on top of that you talk about the the things that are individual to that patient Right, because I imagine, you know, you could give the words and the message and kind of that step-by-step process to the nurses and the providers and the care centers and the cancer centers so that they can work with the patients knowing that there's a predictable path of grieving that they're going to go through. You know, you first you have the shock, oh my God, I got cancer. And by the time you get home and everybody's like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and the, you know, they don't, they didn't hear anything like you're saying. Um, so having that predictable path that they could go down in the grieving process um, and giving the providers that pathway to know that this is what the patient's going to go through and you'll probably get a phone call in the next couple of days when, you know, all of a sudden they, they're starting to maybe understand the certain things, but also having the metaphors, if you will, like the cell factory. I love that concept. Uh, just having, uh, a cancer metaphor series would would be very helpful to to teach patients you know yeah it's it's really about you know consistency and a lot of you know practices now will even they'll have one designated person who does the new patient education so some will do it you know they try to a lot of places now will actually bring patients back for a second appointment and, and, but still in their mind, you know, it's like, oh, well, that'll give them time to, you know, get over the shock of it, but it might be in 48 hours or it might be in a week. Like you, you don't process the shock of you have cancer in, you know, 48 or 72 hours. It just doesn't happen that way. Um, but they'll, they'll have one person in their practice who's doing new patient education. And then what happens is it's supposed to be reinforced by all the treatment nurses when I asked, you know, some of the treatment nurses, so, so exactly what is gone over? Like, they don't know. Like they, they, nobody knows, you know, it's like, oh, well, she does all that. You know, this nurse practitioner or this clinical nurse specialist or this nurse navigator does all her new patient education, but they really, as a practice, like they don't know what's actually said in that meeting. You know, and wouldn't it be so much more helpful if, again, everybody was on the same page, we all know what has been told already to the patient, and we use the same language, we use the same metaphors. I think that, you know, it would be much easier for patients, just like anybody, we say, you got to hear something seven times before you remember it, right? So, you know, wouldn't it be helpful that they are, they're hearing it in the same way, each time. And so it does give them a better, you know, chance of understanding it more quickly um, when we're all using the same language and, and explaining it in the same way. Yeah, because I don't think healthcare providers appreciate that it took them years to study oncology and to understand it. And, you know, we went through a systematic process, whether it was four years, eight years, 20 years, whatever your experience is, it's taken you that long to understand what you know. And imagine getting a diagnosis that is life-threatening, that's threatening, um, and, you know, trying to process what somebody 
has spent 20 years to learn. <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know, that is exactly the curse of knowledge, what you just described. And, um, you know, it, it really makes you take, you need to be able to view it from the different perspective of what does this sound like if I were sitting on the other side of the table. And, you know, I think some of that, a lot of that experience, probably why I do have that perspective is because I have been through it so many times with different family members. I know exactly what it feels like to sit next to my dad and, you know, hear those words and him literally not understand anything. Um, and, you know, in that day you asked about, you know, how, how that went, you know, when I was at the VA center with him, as I'm walking out of the VA, like all I kept thinking was every single patient I passed, I was like, what if they don't have a person? What if they don't have an, a cancer nurse in their family? Like who is helping them get this like they literally don't understand anything that they are going through how could they possibly have a good outcome how could they possibly know when to call the doctor how could they possibly do well and know what to eat and lessen their side effects and you know tolerate their treatment the best when they just simply don't know because nobody explained it to them yeah and where would you even start i, I mean do you start with diet would you start with exercise would you start with the treatment plan would you start with like uh, google like what, what do you what do you start with yeah and, and that's you know I, and that's it like that's why i break it down into those three areas diagnosis treatment and recovery and it and it's intentional it goes in that order because even for patients who are i have found who are in the middle of treatment they still don't understand their diagnosis. I, I've had so many people who have told me that, that like they, you know, I, I gave one talk to a breast cancer support group and, um, you know, this, this lady came up to me afterwards and it was probably, a, I don't know, a 35 minute talk maybe. And she came up to me and she was teary eyed and I thought, oh my, what have I done? You know, <laughs> like, what did I say? You know, and she, you know, told me that she learned more about her breast cancer in my short talk than she had learned since her diagnosis. And she then told me that she had just finished a year of treatment, a year. I mean, that should never happen. It should never happen. Patients deserve so much better than that. Um, and we can do it. I mean, we, we definitely can do it. We just need to, you know, stop doing the same thing and expecting different results. We really need to change the way we're delivering patient education, meet them, like you said, where they are. Um, and, and you can get them there. I mean, they will understand, but you need to come from a place that makes sense to them, right? Right. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, them trying to explain black holes or astrophysics to us. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Don't you understand? <laughs> yeah, it's like calculus to my second grader. You know, yeah. she's in story problems. She's like, is this calculus? I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> and it doesn't, mean they're stupid. it doesn't like, mean why did they say that? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I was tortured with that too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, Jill, this is amazing, and uh, you know, I know you're building your business around this, and I absolutely love this concept. This is exactly what I see nurses being the forerunners for the pioneers, the people that change healthcare and, and the way that it's changed. So one, I want to say thank you for doing this, uh, and two, where can we find out more about you if we want to bring you into our cancer center to help us? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think just like what you said, it's so, we have such a 
powerful um, role, an impactful role as nurses. And I hope that more nurses realize that, um, not just recognize it, but but really make the impact that they were born to make because we, we are the ones who know the patients the best. And we are the ones who spend the most time with patients. And we hear, you know, they confide in us things that they don't tell their doctors or even their nurse practitioners. So, um, you know, when you see a gap and that, that's what, you know, I, I've seen this gap for years. Um, and, you know, I just kept telling myself like, okay, I'm going to do better. And so when I couldn't have all the patients, then I became a manager so I could train all the nurses who were in my department so that they would educate the way that patients would understand. And that was great, but it still only affected only the patients that we saw. And so at some point you have to realize that, you know, okay, if I just keep, you know, if I just keep moving forward, if I, you know, really want to make the impact, if the, the need is there and it is definitely there, um, you know, that I think you have more ability and capability in you than you probably realize. Um, you know, and I, that's what I'm, you know, grateful to, you know, things like this nursepreneurs podcast to kind of inspire other people to, to really recognize that, you know, you can do this. And by the way, it's needed, you know, that's the most successful businesses. They're not, it's not a bunch of marketing. It's not a new product. It is, you're filling a need, right? A true need for service. Um, and I can't think of any greater service in my mind and what I've done than, you know, to serve cancer patients. So, um, yes, I, I mentioned my website is currently being updated because we're trying to get, you know, a lot of these um, little streamlined little videos up there. But you can always reach me at LinkedIn. Um, again, I work with patients and caregivers and family members. I also speak at support groups. Um, you know, sometimes I speak at conferences talking about cancer topics or health literacy how we can certainly, you know, improve what we're doing in the patient education realm. Um, and then I work with practices or clinics themselves um, doing train the trainer type of series or, um, you know, evaluating those patient education materials. Even I'm doing um, more work in the survivorship um, arena. There's a, there's a lot of talk about that. Um, we've recognized, you know, as of the beginning of this year, we had 16.9 million cancer survivors in the U.S., you know, that's roughly 5% of our population. All right. And I mean, everybody recognizes the Institute of Medicine even said we have so many patients that are getting lost in transition. Um, and, you know, we work really hard as healthcare professionals to um, focus on getting them through treatment and supporting them through treatment. And then it's like, yay, you made it last treatment, you know, and then it immediately transitions to spreading out appointments. And it's like, okay, see you in three months, you know? And they're like, what? You know? And I think, again, it's just another opportunity where, you know, that's like the highest anxiety time for patients only second to diagnosis because now, you know, like they stopped doing their active treatment. They were being seen every few weeks and like they were being examined, they were having blood work done. And it's like, now they can, you know, their mind kind of spirals into the, the what ifs of, you know, of all, all kinds of questions, you know, you know, what if I don't feel well, do I call you or do I call my regular doctor? Like, shouldn't we be checking blood work? You know, what happens if I still have side effects after treatment? You know, what if they don't treat me the same at work? What if I can't sleep? What if I, you know, can't turn off this anxiety, this feeling, 
you know, all these what ifs. And, um, you know, we've been working with providing, you know, they call them survivorship plans for um, patients, the Commission on Cancer, um, which accredits cancer programs and practices, you know, on, on how to provide quality, high quality, comprehensive patient care. Um, they actually develop standards and, you know, addressing recovery or survivorship is one of them. Um, and so they required in their standard to have these um, survivorship plans. But unfortunately, you know, it's kind of turned into like a box that we check off. It's a, it's a piece of paper. It has, it lists their treatment summary. And while that is, you know, great, the reality of that is it's not very meaningful or helpful to patients. You know, it's more something that they can hand off to another healthcare professional. You know, it doesn't help them understand what they just went through. So they're, they're recently, they're actually currently changing those guidelines and they're looking at how do we make this more meaningful? You know, if, if we're going to say that this is such a important need, certainly by the number of cancer survivors that we have, um, you know, what is it that they are actually what do they need? You know, this is the next phase. And that's why that is one of the phases that I'm addressing. You know, it's the physical needs, it's the emotional needs, it's stress reduction, it's diet, lifestyle changes, um, it's coping skills and resilience. You know, all those things really need to be part of a, a quote survivorship program, but I certainly wouldn't call it that. <laughs> you know, um, in 20 years, I've never had a patient say, so when do we talk about my survivorship planning, you know? But I, I trust, I promise you that there are clinics and I've talked to practices who are, who are using those terms, survivorship planning. Um, and it's like, okay, here we go again. We're doing, you know, we're doing the same thing. It's like, nobody uses that language, you know? So I'm working with cancer centers again to, you know, one, to try to help them meet those guidelines, but mostly develop a meaningful program for their cancer survivors and to address the needs that, you know, we've, we've, we've done, you know, patient surveys. They're telling us what, what needs are not being met. We just need to do a better job of creating a program, you know, that actually addresses those. So, um, so I'm doing that with cancer centers and clinics too. Again, you, you can find me on LinkedIn um, anytime and I'd be, you know, certainly happy to, to talk about how I, how I can help where you're at. All right, well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Katie. I appreciate it.